From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and the state legislature, which is dominated by Republicans who have supermajorities in both chambers, have implemented a series of policies and laws in recent years that critics say are demonstrating tendencies toward autocracy. A basic definition of autocracy is a leader or party who seeks to concentrate power and undermine the separation of powers, weaken the independence of the judiciary, legislature, and other institutions, persecute their opposition, and weaken civil liberties. I spoke earlier today with three people who count themselves among the critics who are decrying what they see as autocratic tendencies in Tallahassee and here in Florida. They are members of the nonprofit Floridians for Democracy, which was formed back in April to bring together voices from across the political spectrum to push back against what they say is this rising trend. Let's hear that conversation now. Jim Nathan is co-founder of Floridians for Democracy and former CEO of Lee Health. He's also a founding member of Southwest Florida for Racial Justice and an adjunct professor here at FGCU. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Honored to be here. Dr. Mike Martin is president emeritus at Florida Gulf Coast University and a member of Floridians for Democracy and also a founding member of Southwest Florida for Racial Justice. Dr. Martin, good to talk to you. Good to see you, Mike. And Reverend Dr. Barian Staples is president of the nonprofit Race and Ethics Corp, as well as an active participant with Southwest Florida Voices for Racial Justice and a member of Floridians for Democracy. Reverend Staples, thanks for being here. It's nice to meet you. My privilege. So, Jim, for starters, can you give us a quick overview of how this all came to be? We talked to you on the show about two months ago, but just give us the short version of how this uh, came to be. Well, as we shared with you last time, uh, in mid-February, we started a little uh, effort. We called it uh, the 1939 Project. They came for somebody else and not for me. We saw a movement in Florida that seemed to be moving towards an autocratic environment. And uh, all these social issues that we face each and every day are at risk uh, if we can't debate them, if we can't present them. And if we lose democracy, all those things are off, whether it's the environment or women's rights or uh, racial issues or gun violence, et cetera, um, if we have an autocratic uh, leadership. And that's what we saw coming on in Florida. So a number of us got together and we started uh, an organization that we call Floridians for Democracy. We're now incorporated. Uh, Last week, our websites uh, went up uh, and um, we've grown from when we first talked to you from a couple hundred people now to 500 and almost 550 individuals growing every single day. And um, we've got national and state recognition for our efforts and a coalition of many different organizations. And we're, we're excited about this opportunity to tell our story. You use the term um, autocratic. Um, yes. uh, last time we were on, um, um, Bob Hilliard used the word fascism. Um, this is not hyperbole from where you're coming from. These are terms that you want people listening to take seriously in these modern times. Yeah, Bob's very direct. Uh, fascism is a, is, a, is a logical concern um, that we have. I don't think we're, we're there yet, uh, but, uh, but clearly the movement is definitely autocratic, and we're seeing even an open dialogue around an autocratic direction at a national level. And, uh, and that's very scary and should be scary to everyone, regardless of your party. This is, our effort is nonpartisan. We've done that intentionally. 
Uh, we've got lots of uh, Dems, uh, NPAs, or, or no party or, or independents, and we have many, many Republicans who are fearful also of the loss of democracy and, uh, and a, a more autocratic environment. Uh, I look through the presenters you've had since the beginning of April, and there are several people on that list, like Nikki Fried and Dave Ehrenberg on the other coast, Mike Caruso. Uh, these are elected officials who are yes. joining an effort like and Mike's, this. Mike's a Republican. The other two happen to be Democrats. Uh, this, is, this is clearly nonpartisan. Hmm. Uh, how many members do you have now? 530, we're, we're, something yeah, like we're, that? We're five, we're, every day there's some more people, so it won't be long before we're to 550, but we're at 535 right now. Uh, Dr. Martin, you're one of the new members, as I understand it. Um, can you tell us why you're lending your voice to this now? Well, I think uh, like everyone else, I believe that uh, our democratic institutions are fra relatively fragile in this time, and we want to make sure that we protect them in every possible way because I think, as Jim suggested, all other issues revolve around the capacity for a de democratic society to function well. So I've been a committed uh, colleague with these folks for some time because I believe that uh, we have to always redouble our effort to protect the fundamental institutions that made this country what it is. And it doesn't take much erosion before you begin to discover that uh, too much has passed and too little has been done and reversing directions is too difficult. One of the things that I've sort of started to see over the last six years or so is how much of our democracy relies on traditions rather than fixed rules. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, I, and, and those traditions were built up for a reason. But we're now at a place where people question the traditions and, and assault the traditions. Uh, I think we've just seen the Supreme Court make a decision in Alabama about voting rights. And it had to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court before you could get a declaration that this was actually a violation, their redistricting of voting rights. And there was a time when you rarely had to go to the Supreme Court to have a conversation like that. Didn't they then also pass new maps that were uh, in violation of the rule that they just were ruled unconstitutional? <laughs> I rest my case. You may, well, now I'm talking like I'm in the Supreme Court. But, but yes, I think that's exactly right. That even going all the way through the Supreme Court, which is also part of our fundamental democratic process, gets rejected at a local level when it's been declared to be in violation of the most fundamental principle of democracy, the right of every citizen to be able to vote. Uh, you spent more than 50 years in higher education. You recently retired during that time. Uh, you were in leadership roles, presidency, <laughs> chancellors, which means you have to, I presume, you know, straddle some lines politically because that's the nature of the job. Um, being here with us today talking about this and supporting it is standing on one side of the line. Is this new territory for you or well, is this, am I looking at it wrong? Well, I would say I, I can I can completely concur with my friend Jim Nathan. This is a nonpartisan organization. I'm not taking a political position, but I think every American ought to be concerned about the democracy, whatever stripe you wear. And so, yeah, probably I'm a little more vocal about it now because I had other things to talk about. But now I'm free to have a conversation that transcends the role I played in higher ed, and I'm I'm going to continue to exercise that right. And as Jim said, we've got people from across the political spectrum who share the concern that wherever you are, you could eventually be assaulted by an assault on democracy. Um, Reverend Dr. Barry and Staples, I'd like to bring you into the conversation now. Tell us about yourself and your background and the work that you do now. Well, I come from a, literally out of the civil rights movement. I did a lot of work. Um, you know, basically, uh, I worked along with other civil rights leaders. Uh, Dr. King was a good friend of my family. 
my family traveled with him and um, they were seeing my cousins are the staple singers. And from that early background and having people mentor me like the late Reverend C.T. Vivian, who was close friends with John Lewis, not only did I have a personal hand in the marches, I remember being involved with uh, in Chicago and, and up north, so to speak, we still had a lot of the issues. And I think uh, Dr. Martin speaks very eloquently about democracy. From a black man's perspective, that has always been a struggle. And it, if we look at right now what's happening, the dem- democracy that's happening, if I look at another word, I would say opportunity. If we are shattering democracy for black people in America, we're actually trying to take away more opportunities that have been granted to them under civil rights legislation, all the marches that I did, and also Dr. King and other people that I know. We are really in a bad situation. Today we celebrate the birthday uh, today, July 25th, of Emmett Till, who was uh, killed by the Klan for, they say, whistling or saying hi to a white woman, a family, her family's grocery store, and the Klan killed him because he was just being a 14-year-old kid. That whole image still looms today. We are listening to words by woke. The term woke comes from a a vernacular from uh, the black community that represents um, things that are racist or not being, being aware of racist issues, being aware of discrimination. That's where the term woke comes from. So when we hear this term about woke, you can actually substitute the word black in there. Attack on woke is attack on black. So I'm speaking from that perspective. So what I'm doing now, I spent a lot of years, about 40 years, teaching race and ethnic relations, cultural competency, human relations, multiculturalism. Uh, I was a professor for, for several decades and lecturer and guest speaker and those type of things. So my uh, program, Race and Ethics, corporation or core is actually based upon a combination of all my experience, all my academic experience, and to try to bring people together to discuss culture. I look at the word culture more than race because Carlton Kuhn said that you can tap anybody on the shoulder in America and not tell what race they belong to because race is a cultural construct, a social construct, so to speak, not cultural. But so we apply race to everything, but some people may not even fit that, even though you look at a physical characteristic. So my whole goal is to bring people together. I'm doing seminars, uh, workshops, and there will be some, some more coming up uh, real soon. We look at starting to doing a—it's actually a 10-week session, but we look to do something uh, starting in September to have ongoing workshops and to bring people to the table, so to speak. You mentioned uh, woke. That's one of the words that's sort of become a boogeyman. CRT was one of the early uh, oh. examples of that. And then DEI, or diversity, equity, and inclusion, right. which is what you do trainings around, or at least part of what you yes. do. What What is DEI? How, how would you explain it to somebody who has heard the term, they have a negative association because of the way it's been used in the media, but what is it? Well, diversity, equity, and inclusion basically is kind of what I've just alluded to, is that where we recognize... Uh, that we all come from diverse backgrounds. And coming from education, uh, I would use the term IEP, Individualized Educational Program or Planning, that we need to look at people individually, but uh, also 
collectively, there's a segment that I do in my workshops called intersectionality that all of us in here, myself, you, Jim Nathan, Doc Martin, we all are part of that intersectionality. We're discussing certain aspects of what we're trying to say, but we all are meeting at the same point. We all are one together right now. But we need to look at each one of us individually, respect that, and move move forward. That's the diversity part. Equity is that I'm going to give Dr. Martin the same kind of balance that I would give to you or give to Mr. Nathan and to myself. And then that gets all into the inclusive part that, you know, I remember in education, we uh, there was a big term many years ago that was talking about inclusion, and that had to do with mainstream. We would have kids that were identified with special education needs, and they were put into one room and another room. Then someone came up with this fancy idea. We need to put them in the classroom also that our class with regular ed kids, with the regular ed PE class. That's the inclusion part. We need to include everybody. If you have a person that is considered black, um, Asian, or whatever the case might be, don't just put them in the corner. It reminds me of um, what what was that movie? Don't put baby in the corner. I keep forgetting. Dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to put. We don't need to keep putting babies in the corner. No, we all need to dance together. You know, uh, social studies curriculum approved by Florida's Board of Education last week directs teachers at public schools to include lessons on how, quote, slaves developed skills that can be used for personal benefit, end quote. Uh, what are your thoughts on that characterization? Well, that's also a misstep. Um, I looked at the list. Most of those people that identified as slaves, they gave like Latimer and some other people, those were freed people. They were not slaves. They were born to free parents. So I totally disagree that no one's going to convince me that slavery was a benefit to black folk. When you look at the number of lynchings, you look at everything like that. I went to a plantation, Bellmead Plantation, that kind of speaks to that, where they were taking kids that were young kids, 10, 11, 8 years old, and they were dropping them into barrels of horse manure because the horse manure allowed the weight process lost to work because Bell Mead was a horse plantation and they did races and so they would torture those young kids, young boys, and put them in that. They didn't learn a skill that was, a lot of them died too. So, no, I totally disagree with that whole concept that we, you know, we can look at, you know, other things. I like to also and I think we were talking off air here, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We talk about the studies on African-American history. It's ironic to me that no one's talking about revising history on what happened to Native Americans. My grandfather was Cherokee, and, um, you know, (laughs) some people look at me, that gets down to their race thing. Some people look at me, they don't see, well, you're Cherokee, but... We don't talk about what happened to the Seminoles here in Florida. We don't talk about that no one is trying to raise flags about their history. Right now, what we have in this country, and I, I like how we talked about the redistricting voting rights, that's all about black folks. Black <coughs> folks and white folks is how this country is always being perceived. 
and I'm not trying to dismiss other groups that I'm also a part of, but uh, that's what we need to look at is that this is an attack on black folks, what they're doing in this democracy. And I am so glad and so happy that I met Judge Starnes, who introduced me to Mr. Nathan. Then I met this wonderful guy, Dr. Martin. And uh, I just can't say enough about that because if we're to win this battle, this fight against democracy and other issues that it curtails, racism, discrimination, et cetera, we all have, as a people need to do it together. And white people need to also speak up and do that. And I just want to say one more thing. Sure. George Floyd, the protests of the George Floyd murder, that's kind of how uh, Mr. Nathan and I kind of got together with, to Judge Starnes. We were talking about that. The Republicans, I'll just say like this, what they're angry about for the first time since the 60s and 70s, a little bit, we saw protests where we saw groups of white people, white young kids, and other groups. They're all coming together. So now they're putting all this legislation out because they're mad. We got all these other white, little white kids are also protesting about this injustice. And so I really feel that's a backlash against all kinds of things. I have two terms that I think about all the time, and that is that we are in a cold civil war, and then we have this perception that this is a post-racial society on the heels of President Obama being elected. That's not true, that we still have these issues. We have these issues as attacking our democracy and attacking how we live life together. And that's what it has to be. We have to live together. Um, Dr. Martin, as a lifelong educator, what are your thoughts on that uh, aspect of the new curriculum? And does it fall into the category of what we're talking about here in terms of autocratic trends? <clears throat> well, I won't characterize as that because I'm not entirely sure how I can characterize that part of it. But it clearly does not reflect, in my judgment, a thoughtful and well-researched approach to the real impacts of slavery. <clears throat> For one thing, we know that many of the slaves who came here were already had capabilities that they brought with them. It isn't as though we somehow then right. in, in, the, in the deep recesses of our conscience decided we we're going to make them into other people for their own sake. And moreover, almost every skill that was taught was taught for the sake of the slave owner, not for the slave themselves. Right. So to characterize this as somehow an investment in human capital of that you can celebrate goes a little too far for me. And I don't think that uh, true analysis of history and true analysis of the impact of slavery would come to the conclusion that there was any benefit whatsoever. There's hundreds of years of on-the-job training. Yeah, <laughs> at least 400. <laughs> uh, Jim, can you break down specific examples of what you're alluding to or referring to, specific pieces of legislation or policies that have been put into place that fall into this category? Yeah, you know, getting this down into simple words is, uh, is always tough because there's so many things that are moving targets. But I'd like to share with you uh, something that came from Richard Jacobs. He's 92 years old, lives in St. Petersburg, a retired attorney. And his in, uh, real focus is on environmental issues. And he came to the realization, the same as all these other issues, that the environment is at risk if we lose democracy. 
So he suddenly got involved with the democracy movement and wrote a book called Democracy of Dollars, which is basically the buying of democracy uh, with all the money and all the policies and even Supreme Court decisions that have occurred. So at age 90, he wrote this book. Now he's 92. But he said this, um, gave this list, and I think it's a, a great example. It's not everything, but everything in here is absolutely accurate. Uh, we title it, Florida is fast becoming the state where democracy is in peril. And here's the examples. Where voting and the right to speak freely are suppressed. Where school books are banned on whim and not reason. Where academic freedom and critical thinking among students and faculty in public education and universities is thwarted. Where cultural freedom is blocked. Where women's reproductive rights are controlled by the state where LGBTQ and transgender people are under attack, not only in education, but also in healthcare and fundamental rights, where businesses and elected officials that disagree with the governor's agenda are punished. And this is one that a lot of people aren't aware of that takes you away from social issues, but local decision-making, where the rights of local governments to make local decisions based on their needs are blocked. This just went into effect on, on July 1. Uh, so much of the ability to do zoning laws and to make local decisions is now being taken over by the state. This is an autocratic movement of power and taking it more and more away from the people. And that's what we see with every one of these activities. It's more government from people that have argued for their careers of less government. And that's wrong. One of the core principles of, of, of conservatism, as I understand it, is local rule, is the idea that it shouldn't be from the top down, and yet this is the it's exact all contrary. opposite. It's exactly the opposite. It's contrary. You know, I looked up sort of the definition of autocracy, uh, political leader or party mm -hmm. that could be described as autocracy, uh, autocratic rather, typically involve concentration of power, suppression of dissent, disregard for democratic principles, and lack of checks and balances. And what I'm getting at is, is, is the thing, are the things that are happening unconstitutional or are they within the bounds of what we have as a system yet things that you disagree with? Well, a lot will be tested um, all the way up through the Supreme Court, a lot of these act to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, but then that's where the democracy of dollars comes in. Um, the real question is, do we truly have an independent Supreme Court that is looking at societal right. issues uh, from a, an appropriate perspective? Are they really looking at what the founding fathers um, wanted this nation to be? And it seems to be so much in contrary to that. So um, what is the definition of constitutional today also comes into play. And I think that's where some of the autocratic movement is hoping that uh, they've put enough people in the right slots at every level up through the legal world uh, that they can win this battle. And when you see what's happening in other countries, just yesterday, what's happened, yeah. what happened in, in Israel, Israel. Um, th this, is, this should be scary. And there is a global movement uh, towards a more autocratic and potentially then a more fascist society. I don't mind the term anti-fascist because we should be against fascism. And I would love to be as woke as possible to be aware of what's going on go. in our society and our needs. Uh, those terms uh, and the destruction of DEI to see what happened. This community got a massive grant of $23 million for jobs training that requires DEI training. And yet there's a pressure to not do that in the businesses that could most benefit from this. That's wrong. 
Let me ask you, Reverend Staples, um, you know, we hear about what's going on in Tallahassee. We hear about legislation that's being passed. We hear about how institutions and organizations are going to be impacted by these things. But as an individual, somebody who has lived a long life and has worked around civil rights issues, have things changed for you on a personal level when you walk through your life day to day here in Florida? Well, I can tell you something. I've only, I'm going into my fifth year here in Florida. Okay, I, so you're still relatively yeah, new relatively here. Relatively I stepped out on faith, and I've talked to Mr. Nathan about this. I I felt like um, Abraham was told to go to a land that he knew not. <laughs> and But he had, he had God and blessings with him along the way. And I went to a land I knew not. And of all the irony, it hit me that I'm in a county that says, Robert E. Lee, we love you. And uh, it... It hit me pretty hard, but I'm going to tell you, all my life and every single day, um, I won't go into my family lineage, but I won't give the name, but the person said that every day a black person gets up, they recognize that they're black. And if a black person says they don't do it, they're lying. They can just rationalize and everything else because... Everything that the standards for me have always been based upon what the dominant culture, which we ascribe to as being white. And so coming to Florida, I still have that, and it's increased because the whole term DWB, driving while black, I can tell you some incredible experiences I've had being pulled over and things like that, guns put in my head by the police officer and names called and threatened for me to move an inch. They're going to blow my brains out. All those kinds of things happened to me. Being in Florida, it's also increased in me that I go outside, and and any time a police officer gets near me, I actually get tense. Things have changed for me on a lot of hands that I'm able to move in and out of a lot of different um, arenas and have very good people that... Uh, regardless of the color they are, they are very helpful. But then you have that that power structure that you still feel haunts you every single day you walk out the house. And so things have changed for me. I've been blessed to have uh, had a lot of people that helped me along, but I still have that fear, that apprehension. You know, if I go, like I said, if I go outside, get to a stoplight, the police gets behind me, I'm going to have a fear not just that they're going to stop me for a tail light out, but they're going to pull their gun first and then start talking to me. And that actually happened to me after teaching a class at the university I was teaching at. I don't want to go into details. but So, yeah, things have changed a little bit. But um, I think Dr. King said, injustice anywhere is an injustice for us all everywhere. So what Barron is just saying is so important to understand is that when people say, well, that all this race stuff, that's all ancient history, it's not. It's current. And what's happening today is intensifying this. And to tell people that they shouldn't learn about the real facts of history, that's wrong. Yeah, and I think, you know, I grew up in a family where a lot of things weren't written, like even in my own family history. But I always, you look at just the word, history, means his story. We need to learn about his story, learn about 
Jim's story, learn about Dr. Martin's story. We have so much to share. And just think about this. If I can learn about Emmett Till, who I lived in the same area that he lived in, and his mother, bless her, both of them, now they're gone. We can embellish so much you know, in our hearts toward each other. And uh, so that's, you know, some people may say, well, Staples, you're kind of idealistic about all this. No, I'm not. I'm a humanitarian. I will always be. My my cousins marched and sang. My cousin Mavis has a song, Let's Build a Bridge. And it's a beautiful song. It's basically what I'm just talking about. We need to build bridges instead of walls. And there's an elephant in the room I'll just say number 45, that is actually (laughs) a principal reason why we are having some of these issues here. There's a lot of things I can say, but, you know, never give a preacher a microphone. (laughs) Well, we are unfortunately going to have to leave it there. Do you have any final thoughts real quick, Dr. Martin? Well, I just want to make one note that's pragmatic to me at least. Uh, We've spent the last couple years in Florida and the legislature and elsewhere. I think the Miami Herald pointed this out recently in an op-ed. In cultural wars, in effect, or at least culturally related legislation, leaving behind the solution to real problems for real Floridians. I mean, there is a housing crisis. There's an insurance crisis. There's a congestion crisis. There's a water quality crisis. And and yet we're spending time debating these sorts of issues when real Floridians have real issues that need to be addressed by our state government. And that, to me, is a cost that we all ought to stop and ask, are we willing to pay that? Are we willing to continue to pay what are the highest uh, uh, homeowners insurance rates in the country because most of the dialogue is about other stuff like whether or not slavery had any benefits? And at some point, uh, I hope leaders prioritize what's important to the people they lead. And for me, that's one of the trade-offs we've faced here because this is the conversation and there are many other issues that ought to be challenged here that really make the lives of every Floridian better if they are taken on. And that gets into my hope, uh, Henry David Thoreau. Yeah, yeah. Civil disobedience, yeah. exactly. Food, yeah. shelter, clothing. Those things are essential, but those things are important. So that's just a pragmatic issue there, Mr. Gnarly. Well, I appreciate your perspectives. All three of you, my guests, have been Dr. Mike Martin. He's president emeritus at Florida Gulf Coast University and a member of Floridians for Democracy. Dr. Martin, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Mike. Reverend Dr. Barry and Staples is president of the nonprofit Race and Ethics Corp, as well as an active participant with Southwest Florida Voices for Racial Justice and a member of Floridians for Democracy. Reverend Staples, thank you. Merci beaucoup. And uh, Jim Nathan is co-founder of Floridians for Democracy. Jim, always a pleasure. Great. Go to floridiansfordemocracy.org and sign up. Get involved. You can find links to more information, including the conversation we had about Floridians for Democracy's efforts back in May when they launched on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or wherever you find podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida.